Let us pray. Almighty God, look with loving mercy on your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given over to the hands of sinners, and to suffer death on the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up, and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall be contemplated. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has been borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked, and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth." Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you, have make, when you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We will intone Psalm 22.
A reading from Hebrews. After the Holy Spirit says, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the certain, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as, in, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. be seated. It's the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often had met with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, for whom are you looking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, for whom are you looking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you were looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup? that the Father has given me. So the soldiers, their officers, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, 
and they were standing round it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have also taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask of those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I had spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with them? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But, that is, but as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. 
Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no power over me unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you was guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Gagatha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here ends the reading. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to use my time here on Good Friday to encourage you in what Martin Luther calls the high art of being a Christian, what others have called the martial art of being a Christian, and that is to encourage you to learn to talk back to the devil, that is to talk smack to the devil. And so I want you to be encouraged and to learn how to shout down Satan and to silence him. 
This is one thing Good Friday equips us to do. It equips us to reply to the devil. We believe that Christ's death on the cross was the true defeat of Satan. And so it's worth considering how we can use that defeat for our own good, for our benefit. The devil, we know, is active in the life of the faithful Christian. And mostly the devil is active as a preacher. He is active as a preacher who has one basic sermon. And the devil's sermon always comes down to a question, did God really say? That's what we see in Genesis when the devil is first encountered by Eve. The serpent tries to bring doubt about the faithfulness of what God had said. In Genesis 3, did God really see, did God really say that you shall not eat from the tree in the garden? And then Satan calls God a liar and Eve puts her trust in the devil's sermon in what he is saying which she should have responded, no, God's word is true and it's good for me. But when she didn't respond in trusting God's word, she was snared in Satan's trap. Throughout the Bible, we see that pattern over and over. The Israelites, when they are delivered from Egypt, God had promised to take them to the land flowing with milk and honey. But when they get to the wilderness, they allow the devil to question God's promise. And so they complained. Moses, your God has just brought us out here to die. They get caught up in the lies of the devil and not in God's sure promises. We even see it after Jesus' baptism. God makes a declaration of good news that Jesus is his son with whom he is well pleased. Immediately, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is attacked by Satan, who says to him, if you are God's son. Satan tries to bring uncertainty to the word of God. That's what he does. This is also what Satan does to you. We know that God has made promises to you. God promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God says that through the blood of his son, we are set free from our sins. God forgives our failures because of his overflowing kindness. And we are promised that God is faithful and just and that when we confess our sins, he will forgive us from all unrighteousness. We see in scripture that God is eager to promise us that our sins are forgiven. He promises in his word that he loves us, that he does not want to abandon us, that he always forgives us. And so God wants our hearts to receive this word and place our trust in it. But what happens in the Christian life? Well, Satan attacks the promise just like he always did. He has no other scheme. He wants you to doubt God's word of promise. And so often we're eager to listen to that sermon of Satan. Satan will remind us of our past sins. He will get us to think something along the lines of, did God really forgive this? Or if the church knew who you really were, if the church knew the sins that you were really guilty of, they would toss you out of there. You would never be accepted. Satan will try to convince you that you are a hypocrite. He will point this out to you. Look, you go to church, you go to Bible study, you pray, but you still have this sin. You still feel deep down like there is something wrong with you. Maybe God's promise really is not for you. Sometimes Satan will give us a faith thermometer to check our faith temperature. He'll give us this thermometer 
and say, how much do you really believe? He'll get you to think, do I really believe all of this? Maybe this is all just a bunch of stories. Did God really say this? That's what Satan does. He accuses you. He sows doubt in your heart. And most of all, he wants you to begin to question God's promises. Because if you don't trust God's promises, then you're on the path to despair. Your life doesn't quite make sense. The pain and suffering of your life will be meaningless. You'll realize how much of a sinner you are, and you'll cut yourself off from God's word. And in Satan's mind, that's how he wins, when he gets to cut you off from the gifts that God has for you. And so when Satan comes to you to get you to doubt, when he accuses you, you have to talk back to him. And what do you say? You go to the cross. At the cross, we are given the certainty that God's promises are true for us. Because what happened at the cross? Jesus doesn't just go to the cross to be a good example for us. He's not just a martyr. He's not just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus is not just a victim on the cross. He is not powerless as a prophet who succumbs to the powers of the world. No, at the cross, Jesus takes your sins onto his body. That's what Isaiah says. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. At the cross, Jesus takes the sins of the world, and more than that, he takes your sins. Even the most shameful ones, even the sins that are so embarrassing, you would never tell anyone that you would never dare to whisper in daylight. Even that sin, Jesus takes it from you, and he bears it for you. He dies with it so that it is no more. Your sins are gone. As far as east is from the west, so are your sins from you. They're gone. And when Christ rises on Easter, he comes not with a reminder of your sins, but with the word of forgiveness. Do not be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. And that's how you arm yourself to talk back to the devil. You say, Satan, that sin you want me to be so ashamed of is not my sin. Christ has taken it from me, so shut up. Get out of here. When Satan wants you to question, did God really promise this to me? You say yes, because the one who knew no sin became sin on my behalf. And that's what Good Friday is about. God gives you his son so that you will know that you are forgiven. He gives you his son so that you know that his promises are true. God isn't just paying lip service. He's giving you his very own son, his very word in the flesh, so that you know he is faithful to his promise. And so on Good Friday, God fulfills a promise that he has made to you. In Genesis 3, God says, I will put enmity between you, that is the devil, and the woman, that is Eve, and between your seed and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see that at the cross, Christ has crushed the head of Satan underfoot. Satan's words, Satan's sermon, has no power over you so long as you go to the cross. As long as you say to Satan, Christ has done it all for me, then he's powerless over you. When you look to the cross, you are looking at the very promise of God for you. You are forgiven. 
Amen.
Let us pray, brothers and sisters, for the Holy Church throughout the world. Almighty and eternal God, you have shown your glory to all nations in Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, guide the church and gather it throughout the world. Help it to preserve in faith, proclaim your name, and bring the good news of salvation in Christ to all people. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for Daniel, our bishop, for our pastors, and for all servants of the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and eternal God, your spirit guides the church and makes it holy. Strengthen and uphold our bishops, pastors, other ministers, and lay leaders, Keep them in health and safety for the good of the church, and help each of us in our various vocations to do faithfully the work to which you have called us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for those preparing for baptism. Almighty and eternal God, you continue to bless the church. Increase the faith and understanding of those preparing for baptism. Give them new birth as your children, and keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our sisters and brothers who share our faith in Jesus Christ. Almighty and eternal God, you give your church unity. Look with favor on all who follow Jesus, your Son. Make all the baptized one in the fullness of faith, and keep us united in the fellowship of love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the Jewish people, the first to hear the word of God. Almighty and eternal God, Long ago, you gave your promise to Abraham and your teaching to Moses. Hear our prayers that the people who called you and elected you and elected as your own may receive the fulfillment of the covenant's promises. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for those who do not share our faith in Jesus Christ. Almighty and eternal God, gather into your embrace all those who call out to you under different names, bring an end to interreligious strife, and make us more faithful witnesses of the love made known to us in your Son. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those who do not believe in God. Almighty and eternal God, you created humanity so that all may long to know you and find peace in you. Grant that all may recognize the signs of your love and grace in the world and in the lives of Christians and gladly acknowledge you as the one true God. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's creation. Almighty and eternal God, you are the creator of a magnificent universe Hold all the worlds in the arms of your care and bring all things to fulfillment in you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those who serve in public office. 
Almighty and eternal God, you are the champion of the poor and oppressed. In your goodness, give wisdom to those in authority so that all people may enjoy justice, peace, freedom, and a share in the goodness of your creation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And let us pray for those in need. Almighty and eternal God, you give strength to the weary and new courage to those who have lost heart. Heal the sick, comfort the dying, give safety to travelers, free those unjustly deprived of liberty, and deliver your world from falsehood, hunger, and disease. Hear the prayers of all who call on you in any trouble, that they may have the joy of receiving your help in their need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Finally, let us pray for all those things for which our Lord would have us to ask. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
oh my people, oh my church, what have I done to you? How have I offended you? Answer me. I led you out of slavery into freedom and delivered you through the waters of rebirth, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. Forty years I have led you through the desert, feeding you with manna on the way. I saved you from the time of trial and gave you my body, the bread of heaven. But you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy Almighty, holy and have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I led you on your way in a pillar of cloud and fire, but you led me to the judgment hall of Pilate. I guided you by the light of the Holy Spirit, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I planted you as my fairest vineyard, but you brought forth bitter fruit. I made, your I made you branches of the vine and never left your side, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I poured out saving water from the rock, but you gave me vinegar to drink. I poured out my life and gave you the new covenant in my blood, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I gave you a royal scepter, but you gave me a crown of thorns. I gave you the kingdom and crowned you with eternal life, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I struck down your enemies, but you struck my head with a reed. I gave you my peace, but you draw the sword in my name, and you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I opened the waters to lead you to the promised land, but you opened my side with a spear. I washed your feet as a sign of my love, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I lifted you up to the heights, but you lifted me high on a cross. I raised you from death, and prepared for you the tree of life, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. I grafted you into my people Israel, but you made them scapegoats for your own guilt, and you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Oh, my people, oh, my church, what more could I have done for you? Answer me. 
I came to you and the least of your brothers and sisters, but I was hungry, and you gave me no food, thirsty, and you gave me no drink, a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, you did not visit me, and you have prepared a cross for your Savior. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. By your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. <laughs> 